As we uh, begin today, remember we are studying through the last part of the book of Romans, Romans 12 and on, as we start our series, or continue our series, I should say, through the art of being unordinary. And today we're going to look at chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to chapter 12, 3 through 8, as we look at today about thinking differently about one another. Let me go ahead and say this sermon, um, I'm glad they didn't mic the stage or you would hear toes shattering because I'm going to step on my toes today. And my hope is I step on your toes today because what God has done for us in his word today, there's some amazing things as I was studying this and be honest, I was studying this with a steady diet of camp food, caffeine, hydration. There was a lot going on. But man, God was really opening my eyes to things in my own life as I was studying this, and I want to share that with you today. Last week, we began our study of Romans 12 uh, through 15 by looking at those first two verses in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Let me read them again for you, those of you who maybe haven't memorized, where he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, this passage is probably one of those well-known within the Christian community. We talked about that last week. And however, what I want to do for you this morning is suggest something different. I want to suggest to you that Paul's intention in verses 1 and 2 was to act like a thesis statement for the rest of Romans. Did I lose everyone when I use my English word? A thesis statement. What is a thesis statement? I heard no idea. All right. It's it's telling you what I'm going to tell you about, right? A thesis statement acts like this. I'm telling you what I'm going to tell you about as a summary. So that if you wanted to stop reading there, you could. I wouldn't, but you could. Because the rest of the text is going to tell you exactly what I mean about that. If you remember from last week, chapters 1 through 11 serve as a what to believe part of the book of Romans, while 12 through 15 operate as a how to behave part. All right? So while we get into this passage, this foundation for the rest of this letter is 12, 1 and 2. We can't forget last week. We've got to have that in our heads. And Paul's point is going to be for the rest of these chapters is that the renewed mind is the only way that these exhortations found in chapters 12 through 15 can be possible. That's it. And we're going to say things today, and we're going to start saying things today, and I'm going to say the phrase, hey, if this isn't happening, or if this isn't consistent in your life, then you don't have the renewed mind. You might go, Rick, how dare you? I don't dare. Paul is. Paul is saying, if, if, if this is what you're doing, you don't have that renewed mind. You've got to go back to verses 1 and 2. You see, right away. And from this launching point, we want to take a look together at our passage under consideration for today, and that's verses 3 through 8. So let's take a look at our text. Let's read this. Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. 
Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now let me remind you, verses 3 through 8 do not exist on an island. They're closely related to verses 1 through 2, which indicates again that the renewed mind, Paul is going to say, a renewed mind leads the believer to think differently or in an unordinary way about two things. And that's what we're going to look at today, just these two things that Paul says our renewed mind is going to cause us to think in an unordinary way. The first is this, the renewed mind causes the believer to think differently about him or herself. The renewed mind causes you to think differently about yourself. According to Paul, those who are being transformed through the renewing of their minds will refrain from looking at themselves too highly regarding their place in the body. And we're going to use the phrase the local church from here on out. He says, the renewed mind will cause me to see myself differently and not look at myself in too high of a way within the local church. Now, ultimately, we're going to see later, this leads to my, my function in the local church. However, I think it would benefit us this morning to take a, an introspective look, a look within ourselves to see ways that we are guilty of thinking highly, more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. Now, let me be clear here to address the elephant in the room. I've been saying that a lot since I kind of started preaching here. But I want to address that elephant in the room. My tendency, your tendency during a conversation like this is to see another group or another individual in the church as the problem and your group or yourself as the solution. You catch what I'm saying? That's my tendency. That's your tendency. I see myself as the solution and y'all are the problem. I'm like Lucy on peanuts. If the world listened to me, it'd be in a better place. That's how I think. Maybe that's how you think. And this can be based on a lot of different reasons. You know, it can be based on age, younger members versus older members. It can be based on tenure at the church, long-term members versus the short-term or recent members. It could be sometimes the pastoral team versus the congregation. It can be based on sometimes financial generosity, groups that see themselves as more generous givers versus everyone else. This tendency can easily creep into our hearts and it emerges in various ways. And I don't mean to attempt to make an exhaustive list or list all the ways this comes out, but here are a few that sneak in. I want to put them on the screen. Number one, desiring to have my voice heard without considering the opinions that may differ. Desiring to hear my voice. I want you to hear what I have to say, but I don't really want to hear yours. Now, this may show itself by refusing to listen to others' perspectives or opinions. I may have the, exactly the way to go. I, I may look at my wife sometimes and go, honey, I don't want to hear what you have to say. I know exactly what to do. And she always receives that with grace. No, of course not. Because what I just told her is your opinion doesn't matter. I'm the, the alpha here. I run. And it's never going to go well. Hey, listen, it doesn't work in a marriage. It doesn't work in a church. How could we even think that could be possible? It could be shown by dominating group activities or discussions or being condescending or patronizing towards others. 
It could be when a conversation is more about proving your point than listening to the other person's heart. I use that word specifically. Sometimes it's not about listening to the other person's point. It's about listening to their heart. It's about letting them know they were heard. Their point could be off. We get that. My point could be off. But if you don't listen to me, what did you just communicate to me? You just communicated to me that I don't matter to you. I'm not saying you have to do what I'm saying. I'm just saying you at least have to listen. Ultimately, this is seen when you spend more time talking than listening. Now, another way I can be guilty, again, I'm talking about me. This is about me right here. This is just self-therapy. Again, another way I can be guilty of thinking of myself more highly than I ought to is when I think my circle of communication, my people, is the only one that matters. My people. This could lead me to being dismissive of the feelings or even struggles of others. I'm not listening to them because I think I'm the only group that matters. It could be bragging about my spiritual achievements or experiences. You ever met someone like that where you're talking to them and you're sharing a story that is a captivating story to you and then they lead with something like, well, that's nothing, and then tell them about you. There's, what they just tell you? Well, your story, what a waste of my time. I'll never get that 10 minutes back. Let me tell you something entertaining. You see, right here we see this. It, it often comes out of me through using my status or position in the church or somewhere to assert power over others. It could also be seen through, ready, making another group the villain. You could make another group the villain, that is, in your minds. And that you're, in your mind, you see them as the villain and that they're keeping the church from being all that it can be. Or more realistically, what you want it to be, what I want it to be. Do you, you, you understand what I'm saying here? This is the way it comes out. It's, it's clear. Let me, but let me be as clear as I possibly can with this next statement. If these things or something like them come frequently out of your mouth, then according to Paul, you do not have the renewed mind. If, I, if this is coming out of me, I don't have the renewed mind. That's, that's what it's saying. And that's what Paul has told us to do. You see, the renewed mind understands that any good that is accomplished or done is done by the work of the Spirit through us and often in spite of us. Often it's in spite of us when we do these things. The renewed mind recognizes that others have a place at the table too. And it seeks to include others' ideas, opinions, and talents in the life of the local church. The second thing the renewed mind does is causes the believer to think differently about his or her function in the body of the of Christ or the local church. In verses 4 through 8, Paul says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, if the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, Paul has used this analogy before when talking about the local church. About two years prior to the writing of the book of Romans, he penned 1 Corinthians in which he, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 28, describes the church as a body. Here it is on the screen. Paul says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. 
For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it less, any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our presentable, or sorry, our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which are more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, let this be your tagline, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Brothers and sisters, in both passages, Paul uses the analogy to the human body to emphasize both the diversity and the unity in the local church. So first, let's talk about this, diver- this unity for a minute, what it looks like. Just as the human body is one with many body parts, so our local church is to be unified, unified even though it's comprised of many individuals. We're, we're supposed to be united even though we're diverse. And this is found again in 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul says again, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. You see, what Paul is saying here is that our true unity crosses all society lines, all lines of ethnicity, and of course, all lines of preferences, opinions, and desires. I mean, take a look around. I've said this phrase to us before. Look at the people around you and think to yourself, would I hang out with this cat if Jesus wasn't real? I love you, but we would not hang out a lot. Some of us would because we like humor. We like the dark jokes. We'd hang out. Some of you enjoy doing things I'm not a big fan of. Okay? I told I taught a pastor kid about this one time. He loves hunting. Buddy, he never took me hunting, and I have not been offended. I, was, I knew what he would get if he took me. I'd be in the deer stand with him going, what's going on? What are you looking for? I think I heard something. And then I'd be opening my snacks. Eventually, he would turn the gun on me. I know that. I told him, I say, look, man, we're not that. You want to go books? You want to go hang out at a bookstore? Want to cover ourselves in old book smell? Go look for some books? I can do that. I'll hang with you. But listen, unity brought us, the unity that brought us together had nothing to do with our likes and dislikes. It was all about Jesus. That's what it's supposed to be with us in the local church. It's not about how we, think about it this way. If it's, if it's unity based on our preferences, that's called affinity. Oh, we like the same things. But unity that goes deeper than our likes and dislikes, that's Jesus. That's the Spirit bringing us together, and that's what we're supposed to be. Paul is saying that all, or sorry, true unity crosses all those lines that would ordinarily divide us. 
But we're called to be unordinary. He calls us to avoid that which would come ordinary or normal to us and be transformed by allowing the Holy Spirit to renew our minds. And like the human body operates, the local church moves and acts like one organism, which leads us to our next thing. We have to remember that we are a multitude of people with various God-designed functions. And we are all, all are necessary for the health and the full function of the church. We have to remember that. We have to remember that. There are no unnecessary parts to the body. Next, our local church is to be diverse. Paul says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Now, while the local church is to share that common mentality and mission, Paul's also clear that each member should use their various gifts to accomplish, accomplish this unified mission. Now, the word gifts here could refer to those abilities given by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of building the church. However, in this passage, the gift might be better translated as opportunities for service. Meaning, if you have the opportunity to serve, you should serve. I love that because if you, if you look at it that way, because if you read those pas that passage I read for you a few minutes ago, he mentions things like prophecy and service and teaching and exhorting and generosity. And we can easily say, you know, that's just not my spiritual gift. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying if you have the opportunity to serve, you should serve. If you have the opportunity to teach, you should teach. If you have the opportunity to be generous, you should be generous. Not go, well, that's just not my gift. If you have the opportunity, you should serve. You should serve willingly. That's what he's talking about. Paul has introduced this whole section on humility, and then he lists various ministries, as well as the people who perform them, and the attitudes they should have when carrying them out. And again, he does this to encourage our humility. Paul is suggesting that it's impossible for one person or a group of people to do everything. We need the everyone for the church to fulfill Jesus' mission to make disciples of all nations. We need everybody. And we're obligated to work for the benefit of one another and the church as a whole. And may I add something here? That those who serve in the same position can still differ in ways they serve that position. You have three pastors on staff and we're not alike. Even when we had five, we weren't alike. You put any, just ask Miss Pam about VBS. She'll tell you, not all these leaders work together. They're not the same. They don't work exactly. The directors of our various ministries can attest that each ministry is comprised of various leaders who serve out of their God-given unique giftedness and their personalities towards that common goal for that ministry. In, in, in student ministries, you've got Matt and Sarah. You've got Tyler. You've got Philip. You've got Nana. We, we know, you know where's Garnet, okay? You've got a lot of people doing various different things. And they all work together. That's how it's supposed to be. God has designed the church to ex work exactly that way. Listen, there's no such thing as a Swiss Army Christian who has everything and can do it all alone. There's no such. We need each other to accomplish the mission that Jesus laid out for us. Now, before we end our time together this morning, I, I want to leave you with some practical tips on how to put into practice what Paul has taught us today about putting others first. Now, this is from an article by Louis Priola called, in, in his book is, or sorry, his article is Pleasing People. 
And in here, he outlines several ways we as a local church can esteem others better than ourselves. And I've adapted his words to kind of fit us a bit. Are you ready? Number one, first, don't assume that others have the same evil motives as you find in your own heart. That's a good one. I, like to, I wanted to put it that way. I wanted to word it exactly like Lou Priolo did because a lot of times I can operate out of evil motives, so can you. And then really it's not about the good of the church, it's about what I want. And that's an evil motive. And it's natural to assume the worst in those who disagree with us, isn't it? It's natural to do that. We can easily develop an us versus them mentality that sees others as the enemy. And instead, what if we put the best possible interpretation on their actions? What if we made every effort to see other people or see others who disagree with us as people who care about serving Christ and helping people find and pursue life in Jesus? They just don't have your way of doing it. It's all in the way we see one another. It's wanting the best. Here's how I found this out one day. You ready? I couldn't find my keys at home. Just couldn't find them. And if you're like me, you believe that your keys all of, all of a sudden experienced evolution, grew legs, and walked away. It's the only logical reason, right? So I'm looking for my keys. I couldn't find them. They're where I thought I left them. You ever do that? This time I did leave them somewhere, but they got moved. My wife was cleaning. How dare she? How dare she clean my mess? And she was cleaning and she hung the keys where they go. And I remember going, why would you move the keys to where they normally go? And she said, you know, I did it on purpose, right? You know, I did it on purpose. And I looked at her, she's like, I did it on purpose just to mess with you, just to ruin your day. You know, I did that, right? Now you might think, hey, Jill may have done that. I know her. But that's not what she was doing. She was, she was speaking tongue-in-cheek a little bit. She was, she was telling me, hey, Rick, you're taking this a little too personally. You're taking this a little too personally. You, you know I did it. You, you know I'm, I'm, I had good intentions cleaning up your mess, right? What if we saw everybody else like that? What if we said, you know what, the reason why they're doing what they're doing is because they have good intentions. They want to see people find and pursue life in Jesus. I wonder what would happen. Now, again, as I'm saying this, you might be thinking, yes, I hope that group thinks that about me. But again, we need you to think that about others. It's not about you hoping other people hear this. It's about you hearing this. Kenneth Boa and William Crudener state that a renewed mind sees everything, I love this, through mercy-colored glasses. A renewed mind sees everything through mercy-colored glasses. They see the best in others. Next, look for those virtuous qualities in others that you know you're in most need of yourself. Surround yourself with people who have strengths that you don't have. Remember, there's no such thing as a Swiss Army Christian. Then we should seek their help in using these God-given qualities for the good of the entire church. Because once we see others through these mercy-colored glasses, we'll see their God-given giftedness and value that they bring to the church. God has given all of us certain traits, certain gifts, certain personalities that He has designed that's supposed to benefit the entire church. Thus, we should celebrate it when we see others using their gifts to glorify God and make disciples. We should celebrate that and encourage it. Third, don't assume that your time, money, energy, thoughts, and opinions are more valuable than your neighbors. 
as I mentioned earlier, another way I can be guilty of thinking of myself more highly than I ought to is when I think that my circle of communication, my people, is the only one that matters. Sometimes, in, and, and, and listen, that naturally happens. We just have to remember that it does because sometimes investing and taking ownership in a ministry can drift into possessiveness over that ministry that refuses to entertain the thoughts and opinions of others, especially if you started it, especially if you started that ministry. And then somebody comes along and says, hey, what if we did this? You're like, why? It was already perfect because I created it. Here's how that looks. And again, like I said earlier, the statements I'm about to make don't belong to any age group or demographic. They're just statements that can be made or imagined by any of us. It could be we say phrases like, that's the way we've always done it. That's worked in the past. This is the way I think it should work. If it ain't broke, I wish we tried new things. Why can't we do it this way? I feel neglected because you're not doing what I've asked you to do. Like I said, this does not belong to any age group or demographic. This can be said by a young person, an older person. It could be by a long-term member or short-term. You just got here. These statements can be made or imagined by any of us, regardless of our age, station in life, or length of time at this church. But let me be also clear that this type of thinking removes any possible improvement on any given ministry. If we can't address it, we can't improve it. Also, when deciding, consider not only how that decision will affect your own interests, but also how it will affect the interests of others. You see, there's no such thing as an innocuous choice. Any decision that's made in any place has some type of effect on others. Be alert not only to your own needs, but also to the needs of others. I mean, think of this in terms of what Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, 12, where he tells us, whatever you wish that others would do for you, do to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Think about it. Wouldn't you hope that people who make decisions that could possibly affect you would make those decisions while considering you? Thus, this is a call for us all to consider one another in our group decisions. But remember, this does not come naturally to us. We naturally seek our own benefits first. And that is why biblical scholar Louis Barbary makes a point that this action is only possible by the renewed mind of the Spirit. This won't be on the screen. I just want you to listen to this. He writes, such a principle of putting others first cannot be consistently practiced by a natural person. Only a righteous person is able to practice this rule and thereby demonstrate the spiritual change that has come about in his or her life. An individual who is able to live this kind of life obviously possesses the righteousness Jesus demanded. It's only through the work of the Spirit in your heart, the renewed mind, that can put somebody first. Another way. Another way is to guard your heart from developing a pattern of critical, condemnatory, accusatory, judgmental thoughts about others. Such thoughts make it difficult, if not impossible, to esteem others, others better than yourself. You can't do it. If you're condemning them, vilifying them, you cannot think of them better. And as I said earlier, we do tend to vilify those who disagree with us. And think about this. As we vilify them, we begin to develop a negative and disparaging opinion to the other camp that has drastic and destructive consequences for unity in the local church. 
And that unity, Jesus himself said that that unity was a display of the gospel to the world. In John 17, 23, remember, he prays to the Father that we, or about us, that we would all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Here's why. So that the world may believe you sent me. The gospel is proclaimed when we are unified. This one goes without saying, pray for brothers and sisters in Christ. Rather than talking about someone in front of others, the renewed mind chooses to pray for someone before the throne of God. I'm not going to set up camp and figure out who's on my team. I'm going to pray to the Father. Now, Billy Graham once said, you can't pray for someone and hate them at the same time. It's true, isn't it? Even if you're asking God to restrain their evil actions, you should also be praying that he will change their hearts. By lifting one another up in prayer, we change our focus from what we see as their wrongs or faults to seeing their needs. And this will also allow us to see the strengths and giftings of others, causing us to see one another as partners in the same ministry of magnifying Christ and making disciples. And finally, remind yourself that God, or remind yourself often, that God has given to you everything you have to be proud of. And he's often used others to get you where you are. For me, this was the most convicting of the entire list. I'm here today because people put me over themselves. They sacrificed their own time for me. They rearranged their schedule to pour into my lives. When I asked if they were busy, they said no when they really were. They poured their lives into me. And I'm convinced that everyone here today could say the same thing about someone else. You're probably already thinking about that person's name. We're all here because of someone else. Now, since this is true, doesn't it make sense then that we do the same for others? We show our gratitude for the kindness and grace poured into our lives by doing the same for one another whenever it's possible. Brothers and sisters, Paul has given us an appeal to serve others by serving together in this local church through the renewed mind, a mind that is unordinary. So if I could sum it up with one statement, it would be this one. An unordinary member will find his or her place in the local church and endeavor to build it into one unified and diverse body that proclaims the love of Christ within their surrounding community. That's what we're called to do. May Salem Baptist Church come to be known in our surrounding community of West Salem to the greater Forsyth County, to the ends of the earth as such a church. Will you pray with me? Our Father, our great God, your word has convicted us. Your word has opened up our eyes to ways that we have been guilty of serving ourselves over others. Lord, our actions have betrayed that we have, do not have that renewed mind. Father, forgive us, forgive me, where I have been guilty of these things. God, where I see the guilt, where I see my offense now, thank you, Lord, help me to repent of it and change. But Lord, where I still am yet to see the deep parts 
as you continue to uncover the things in my heart that, that I put myself over others, please keep doing that. And please give me the, the resolve to repent. Father, I've created an idol in my own heart. Maybe my friends have done the same thing. And the idol in our own heart, it looks a lot like us. We want what we want. We want what we desire. And Father, there's no room for us to worship you because we have an idol there. And Father, we're too weak to smash it. We love it too much. We need you to take the hammer out of our hand and smash it for us so that only thing can stand in that place in our hearts is your son, Jesus. Father, I pray that you would allow, we would allow the Holy Spirit to do whatever he wants to do in our hearts based on what we've learned about your word today. But I pray that whatever you work through us, however you work through us, at the end, Father, we would be a local church that magnifies the excellencies of Christ, not only with our lips, but with how we love one another in this community. And we pray this in the name that is above every name, the name of the wonderful Lord Jesus. Amen.